Engaging Leader, episode 185, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation, featuring Dan Shawbell. Brought to you by the team at Workforce Communication. Find out more at workforcecommunication.com. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. The relationships between your team members can make a big difference, both in terms of business results and each person's well-being. As tempting as it is to rely on virtual communication and collaboration, technology too often contributes to workplace isolation and even loneliness. In today's technology-driven workplace, particularly if some team members are working remotely, how can you cultivate a sense of community? This is a big concern for me as a leader of my own team, and I know I'm not alone. I'm a big proponent of using technology for greater efficiency, but... I recognize we often miss out on opportunities to build deep, authentic relationships at work. That's why I'm excited to talk to career and workplace expert Dan Shawbell today about his new book, Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. Dan Shawbell is a New York Times bestselling author. He's the partner and research director at Future Workplace and the founder of both Millennial Branding and WorkplaceTrends.com. His previous two books were Promote Yourself and Me 2.0, and his new book, Back to Human, was selected by the Financial Times as the book of the month. He's the host of Five Questions with Dan Shawbell, a podcast where he interviews a variety of world-class people by asking them five questions in less than 10 minutes. Dan Shawbell, welcome to Engaging Leader. So happy to be here with you. Dan, how does technology get in the way of people being successful and just achieving fulfillment at work? Technology has created the illusion that we're hyper-connected, yet in reality, our overuse and misuse of this technology has made us more isolated and lonely, less engaged and less committed to our teams and organizations. Uh, You know, we're tapping our phones over 2,600 times a day. We're looking at the phone between 10 and 12 minutes, every 10 and 12 minutes. We're sending out an average of five texts within a meeting. So we, we think that technology is this great solution, like it's making us super productive, but at the same time, it can be very distracting. And I think one of the ways to stand out and achieve anything now is focus. And, and yet technology and all these notifications and alerts are distracting us from the very work and relationships that we need to achieve great things and build relationships that are going to be important now and in the future for us. Um, and then technology has convinced us that we have a lot of friends, Facebook friends, yet in reality, it's not true. Uh, you know, we've thought we had this, this great abundance because we have friends and connections Uh, When someone with an average of 150 Facebook friends only has four they can rely on at a time of emotional crisis. It's interesting and refreshing to hear somebody like you talking uh, about this topic because you're, of course, not afraid of technology. You've been a huge proponent of technology for many years. Exactly. So my first book was Me 2.0. It was the height of the Web 2.0 movement. I developed a lot of my early relationships by using social media for to reach out and connect with a lot of very various people who are, are ultra successful 
And I've learned over time that those relationships were not as strong as they could be if I actually connected in person or at least over the phone. So I started to meet people in person. I started to develop those relationships and they've had a, a much bigger impact on my life. And I've realized that because so many people are overusing and misusing technology, the way to stand out, the way to build the stronger relationships is actually to use technology as a bridge to human interaction. Don't let it be a barrier. Let it lead you to the more human interactions, but don't let it isolate you from those relationships that you need to function, be productive, and survive. So one of the interesting topics about technology in the workplace is it's it so, can be so helpful for communication and collaboration, but it gets in the way of actually building friendships in the workplace. Why, are friends, why is friendship so important to workplace results and engagement? We're spending a third of our lives working. The average work week in, in the United States is 47 hours a week. You know, so because we're spending so much time working and not having your phone as a new vacation, we're responding to a business email and text outside of office hours and on weekends. The importance of who you're working with is critical to our ability to stay with a company and perform at our best. In fact, I think that the people we work with are more important than the work we actually do. And yet, the study we did with Virgin Pulse of over 2,000 managers, employees in 10 countries found that 7% of the global workforce has zero friends at work and half have five or fewer. Hmm. And while workplace friendships, you might think, could be complicated, I think we need them in order to feel connected to our workplaces. It's much easier to quit a job when you only have some acquaintances at work rather than friends, especially best friends. And so the original work done on work friendships was by Gallup. They did a study called Vital Friends. They found that if you have friends, especially best friends at work, you're much more productive and happy and fulfilled. And so I just I just took that into today's world and, and discovered that we were lacking these friendships. And in today's world, compared to when Gallup did that study, we're spending much more time working and we're always connected. And there's always a guilt feeling when we're not responding to business emails and texts. And so the importance of work friendships and getting along with those you work with has never been greater. Yeah, in fact, Gallup has long included that right in their Q12 engagement, employee engagement survey work. So it's it's important enough to have somebody you would characterize as a best friend at work. It, it makes a huge difference in your ability to contribute at work. It makes work more bearable. <laughs> because if you don't like the work you're doing, at least you have supportive coworkers who are going to help and support you uh, when times are really tough. And especially today, not everyone is doing work that has a true purpose in their life and that they're really passionate about. So if you don't find purpose in your work, if you're not excited to do the work every single day and you have toxic coworkers, you're always going to be looking for your next job. Uh, so not just choosing a job where you're doing work that plays to your strengths and passions and interests, but choose a job where you know that people have your back, that you're going to get the support, that you trust leadership, that you feel a sense of belonging. Uh, it's not just the work, it's the people you do the work with. The work is the work you do and who you do it with. In my first two books, concentrated more on the work, and this one is really about who you do with and, and really focusing on those relationships. Even for those of us who do get excited about our work and are passionate about it, if, you, if you're not actually building relationships and building genuine friendships at work, essentially loneliness sets in. It's the opposite of having work friendships is workplace loneliness. 
Yeah, and especially in today's world, work is so decentralized. You have a third of the workforce that's working remote, yet two-thirds are disengaged and feel isolated and lonely. And I interviewed the former U.S. Surgeon General, and he said there's a loneliness epidemic and that loneliness has the same health risk and reduction of lifespan as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Hmm. So it can really, really be harmful to your health. This is especially true for millennials, introverts, um, and men. And that's what we found. And so men have fewer friends as they grow older. Introverts are less inclined to have the social activity. Uh, as an introvert, that re really resonates with me. And what's really interesting, there was another study done by Cigna of 20,000 adults. And they found that half of Americans are lonely, 40% lack meaningful relationships. And millennials or younger people are more lonely than senior citizens. You shared a, um, or maybe you produced a, a video on YouTube, a humorous video that just char characterized an office party from the 1980s and, and an office party from today, and how even in the context of a party, there can be this illusion that, hey, we're having, we're connecting, but in reality, everybody was just absorbed in their technology in the in the modern video. Yeah, so it was a birthday party from 1980 versus today. And the biggest difference is people back then were physically present, but also mentally and emotionally. Whereas today, people are physically present, but they're more concerned about the likes and comments from people who aren't even there. So instead of celebrating with the birthday man or woman, they're more interested in the likes they're getting and the interactions they have with those who they might not even know or care about. So you mentioned that that you're more tend to be more introverted, and um, I'm like halfway in the middle between introvert and extrovert. Uh, but a lot of the comments that you make in the in the book um, about hey, once upon a time you you implemented a lot of technology type things and it just f seemed to fit well due to your introverted um, more introverted nature. And and I've done the same thing because there's this the flip side is in the workplace you can get in a lot of interruptions and so forth, and you miss that opportunity to do deep work. But that can go overboard, and I wonder, how do you balance the two? There's, I don't think there's a, such a thing as balance. Hmm. You know, I think it's you figure out what works for you, and then you just mimic that, and you can continuously try and improve and become more efficient. So I think that the idea of balance and work-life balance, it doesn't really exist. Just like I don't think perfectionism exists. You, nothing's ever going to be perfect. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I, I think that we have to be honest with ourselves and think about our priorities first. You know, what are the top th three personal professional goals you have on a daily basis, weekly, monthly, um, quarterly, annual basis, and just make sure that your calendar reflects that. So everyone th looks at their calendar and they say, you know, if it's not in my calendar, it doesn't exist. I live and die by my calendar, and so we need the, your calendar needs to reflect your personal life, not just your business life. And I think that's really important, especially in today's world when there's work creep. And over 70% of the global workforce doesn't have enough time to do personal-related activities because they're so busy working. And because of that, I think it's on us and it's on our leadership to be able to give people space and take space and then build your personal life into your work day. And it was it really touched me when I was uh, an employee back in the day, you know, over 10 years ago. The head of HR, it was a 42,000 person company, said, 
because we expect people to do work outside the office, we also know that they're going to be doing personal things in the office and we have to be okay with that. And to me that hit home. And then I interviewed Richard Branson a year ago and he said something similar about like, if you have a lot of friends outside of work, you should have an equal amount of friends at work. If you have flexibility outside of work, you should have the same at work. And so there's no nine to five work day and we need leaders who can give employees more flexibility. And then we, we as workers need to be more accountable for our lives. As a leader, uh, how do you decide whether to use or encourage technology for communication and collaboration and whether to, to do face-to-face interaction? It's all about use cases. I mean, one of the biggest things that gets in the way of human interaction in the workplace is email. Yet, one face-to-face interaction is more successful than 34 emails back and forth. So if you find yourself constantly emailing to try and get a point across, it's feedback that the email is ineffective and your message isn't coming across. And people are misunderstanding you. So that's when you want to pick up the phone or walk over to their office. Uh, Sending a text to remind someone that there's a meeting in 10 minutes makes perfect sense. But trying to solve an office uh, fight through text (laughs) is going to make it worse. So, you know, let the technology get you to a conference room or a birthday party or networking event. But when you're there, be present, be attentive, share, listen, collaborate, and, uh, and things will be much better. I mean, I think part of the reason why meetings are dysfunctional is be- and take over an hour is because people aren't paying attention. So there's a lot of repetition, things drag on, and so we can become more efficient by being present and human. Yeah, I, I wonder, there, there's whole question about remote workers. How can you better engage remote workers if you've got them on your team? Uh, there's two examples from the book. I interviewed one leader who lets remote workers lead meetings, come up with the agenda and take people through the agenda. I think that's really effective because it empowers them. They feel like they belong and that they work in a corporate office with you. Uh, the other thing is uh, another leader has like a budget so that she's flying to all the remote sites in a given year. So she's not just on calls and you know available through texts and emails. She's being physically present uh, with people where they are and making that investment, which instills trust. Yeah, and you've mentioned in the book, you talked about how there at one point there was the mega trend of more remote work companies switching over to telecommuting options and so forth. And then several years ago, I guess starting probably with Yahoo, but several companies since then have come back completely. And is there a right or wrong answer about that? No, but I think it's about being conscious about it, right? So if if you have a completely remote workforce, then maybe once a year you have an offsite where everyone gets together, right? Or you recognize that 20 of your remote workers all live in Brazil and you pay to have a, you know, collaborative space there for them as an option. So it's being really conscious about that and doing things even at a a low price point that bring people together. You know, what we found when we surveyed workers and even managers is that the top things people are looking for for a more socialized work environment are social events, like an office birthday, for instance, Uh, team building activities like a volunteer activity where you bring people together, employees, and they build homes for impoverished communities or they read to children or they feed um, poor people. 
Uh, or and then the the other thing is workation. So you bring your team to an offsite, such as you know a different city or country where they're able to do work outside of the normal office. And when you do that, people are more likely to share personal related things and establish friendships when they're not in the the normal work environment that they're used to. Hmm. A workation. I haven't heard that new terminology after the you know in the past 3 years. Yeah. So it's I guess I'm imagining how that plays out. Uh would it be let's say you we're, we're going to spend a week uh working in this location and um try to get something done within that week that we create together and something that ships at the end of the week. Potentially, you know, I think it depends on how you want to structure it. But the main idea is to get people away from their normal setting and environment. And that enables them to be creative and get to know people on a more personal level. You know, on that topic of remote workers, we have a, we have a lot of remote workers on our team. And uh, we've been being atten- intentional to use certain technologies that are uh, halfway points between let's say a phone call completely remote and being face to face sort of to fill in the gaps if you're if you're going to get like, together like once video a year. conferencing exactly yeah it's it does make a big difference to see each other's faces and get those emotions being able to see what's going on emotionally with people that's a that's a great example um video using video instead of just always phone well, because 80% of communication is nonverbal, so you can get to know someone better and understand what what point they're trying to get across if you can see them visually, not just hear their voice. I think video conferencing is one of the great technologies that might be seen as basic, but can be really, really effective at the same time, even over a phone call. And a lot of people are just not used to that. A lot of people are you know, hesitant to do a video conference call because you know, maybe they want to you know, be in their loungewear and not dress up like the, you know, but it's interesting. Their research just shows that if you wear a suit, for instance, if you're a man wearing a suit, uh, you take yourself more seriously. So you work harder. So there's a psychological impact of, of dressing the part. And a lot of people avoid video because they don't want to have to dress up. (laughs) Yeah. I, as a leader, I, I sometimes, I mean, I try to be flexible for people, um, but I did have to push people to let's do this over video conference. And there was some resistance there. And that, that was one of the concerns. Another is just the concern about being flexible. Okay, well, you know, when we schedule this call, I don't know exactly where I'm going to be on that day. But it just helped to say, look, I, it's okay if you need to have your camera off on, on a given day, that's fine. But we're going to, I mean, the, the norm is, uh, is we're going to do video and I'll call people out You're like, Hey, the last three calls you haven't done video. Can we, can you turn your camera on? It's okay if you got messy hair today or whatever. <laughs> we just want to have a human interaction. As you said, just get back to being human. Exactly. And human interactions are just really important because they establish not only friendships, but when we asked what brings out the most creativity, and the people we surveyed, they said other people. And that hit home to me because I know that when I'm in conversation with my peers, I come up with better ideas. It just happens naturally. Uh, when ideas are forced, when I'm not around other people, I'm less creative, but I can focus at the same time and be very productive. And so the research shows that you need time and solidarity alone and 
you need time to collaborate. And it doesn't have to be perfectly balanced. Like you spend 50% of your time working alone, 50% of your time collaborating, but you need both uh, typically in a given day or week in order to be very productive, get work done and be creative and innovative in what you're trying to do. And it seems like that's part of the role of a leader too, is to coach people to not to, to I don't want to use the word, I guess I don't want to use the word balance there, but to be intentional with the the isolated work, solitary work versus um, when you are going to do teamwork. And uh, it's especially I mean remote remote workers is a is a great example because they're just tend to naturally always do everything alone, and so they're going they may spend three hours creating something, and and as a leader you may say look spend an hour give it your best thinking and then make a phone call, get someone else on the team and you guys collaborate on this together and so that you come up with something better than you would alone. And then you'll have more fun in the long run when you have those kind of interactions too. Exactly. And you want to have a workplace where people are having fun and enjoying being there because that is in itself a great retention strategy. And the cost of replacing each worker is about $10,000. So you're never going to grow and innovate as a company if you're spending all this time replacing the workers you currently have. And that's why company culture is only going to become more important in the war for talent when you know, right now there's 7.1 million unfilled jobs in America. So mm. job seekers and, you know, your employees have a little bit of an edge, especially in certain industries and professions. So you got to take this very seriously if you want to hold on to people. Um, and so, you know, that leads me to say like the, the top four employee engagement factors that lead all leaders have to take very seriously are trust, belonging, purpose, and happiness. And that supersedes all technology. Technology can, you know, communicate those things to people and be leveraged to collaborate and enhance the employee experience. But, you know, at the core, if people don't trust you as a leader, they're not going to stay with you long. If there's not a sense of purpose, you know, the friendships and connections they would they have with your team are only going to last for so long, right? They want people want to know that the work they do impacts other people. Right, impacts your team, impacts the leader, impacts the CEO, impacts customers and partners, maybe even the world as a whole. And then belonging. People want to know that they can bring their full self into the workplace and that they can share ideas without repercussions. And happiness, happiness is the core, right? Success should be happiness. It shouldn't be a, you know, a, um, a bonus or a salary number. You know, it's really about am I excited to come to work every Monday and not in a rush to leave work on a Friday. Yeah, those topics of trust and belonging uh, and the the safety factor that a person needs to have to have that trust and belonging. You spent a while in the book talking about how to create a, a safe, supportive culture so people feel like they can belong and share new ideas. Do you have any tips that you can share uh, about how a leader can create that kind of culture? Yeah, Google for Project Aristotle, they were looking at what makes the highest performing teams, and it was psychological safety, the ability to come into work and feel comfortable sharing ideas without repercussions. So there's an exercise in the book uh, that where everyone gets a card, and you have to at least take one risk per month or quarter or year uh, and every time you take a risk, you, you give your card to your leader and 
if you and your bonus impacts the amount of cards you have left. So if you haven't used any of your cards, thus haven't taken risks, um, you won't get paid as much. So you, so creating the right incentives to force people into sharing ideas uh, is one way of making sure that your organization is innovative and that people get a say and feel like they belong. Hmm. I remember also in the book you, you had a similar suggestion, uh, I think if I'm remembering right, where you maybe it's a brainstorming session and you're you the leader asks everybody to p- put ideas on cards but not to put their names on the cards and it sort of helps make sure there's a level playing field that when you're reviewing the ideas it's it, you're not letting one person's personality get in the way affect how everybody perceives the val the validity of a certain idea exactly you know i think Whatever you can do to ensure that people feel comfortable being who they are in the workplace. People don't want to be one person outside of work and one person inside of work. They just want to be themselves. Mm. And the more you can create a culture where people feel comfortable doing that, the more effective it will be. And it's just a healthy atmosphere if they do that. If people are always like worried about, am I going to get fired? They're going to hold off on sharing and that's going to affect the organization's ability to innovate. Yeah. Now the there's also a, a really interesting topic in the book about creating, or maybe ins- I guess it's inspiring shared learning. And why is that important in terms of combating um, loneliness, workplace loneliness, and creating more connection? Yeah. The average relevancy of a learned skill is me- a mere five years. So in order to keep up with the speed of business, we have to rely on each other and train and develop each other. And so anytime you learn, that's an opportunity to share what you learn and support someone else's education on your team. And I think this is extremely important. Every morning I I wake up, and this has been for over a decade, and I answer the question, what's going on in my world? And I look at the news, I look at the labor data, I look at workforce trends. And as I'm reading, I'm like, okay, well, if I send this article to my business partner, she or he is going to benefit from it. And so I'm constantly learning and reading and then sharing what I know. And it's happening on a regular basis. And it happens on phone calls. I'll bring in you know, an article I just read on a phone call and discuss it because I think that the customer or the prospect could benefit from that information. And so I think reading and learning is really important. But if you just hoard onto it like the leaders of the past to gain power and influence, that's ineffective in today's world. The, the most successful and influential people today give everything away. I mean, think about this podcast is you're not getting paid to do this podcast. You're just producing, you're interviewing and producing content. And because of that, you're getting followers and people to listen to you. So eventually, if you want to make money, you can, but it's giving you influence in your marketplace. And that joy of learning new things, it brings it, it connects people together, doesn't it? It creates that sense of belonging. We, we, I share something I learned, and I learn something from you, and then we end up feeling more bonded, I guess. Exactly. When you add value to someone else and improve their life, they'll, they'll remember you, and they'll want to reciprocate. Now, Dan, you're the host of Five Questions with Dan Schaubel, a podcast where you're spending, what, 15 minutes talking to some of the most famous people in the world? Yeah, we're down to under 10 minutes is the goal. Originally, it was 15 minutes, but I was like, huh, can I, can I get it down to under 10 minutes? And I've been able to do that. I have a, I have a few episodes that were nine minutes long. 
I I just I did one with Seth Godin that was like four and a half minutes, which was <laughs> really great. But it was effective. It's the most downloaded one. The shortest ones are the most downloaded. To wow. me, that's fascinating. That is. And well, so but on this idea of shared learning, it, it's fascinating to me how these people that you their their time is super valuable, and yet they're excited to be on a podcast like that and share what they've learned. Yeah, I've been doing this for so many years. I've done over 2,000 interviews. So I've had, I've actually had the same format since I've started, five questions, uh, just five questions. And it's, it's proven to be very successful for me. And so I'm just doing it in audio form. So when I was like, okay, you know, everyone wants me to start a podcast, that was the most natural for me to do because I've always done it. Um, but I think I'm always trying to learn. I've done 45 research studies, including one captured in Back to Human called the work connectivity study. And so I'm always learning, I'm always researching, I'm always interviewing, and I'm always trying to bundle that information up in different packages, whether it's audio, whether it's an art- article or presentation, to communicate it to other people to improve their lives. And people love it. People love to learn, and the, it, there, there's that spirit of generosity when one person shares something with, without ex- expectation of getting anything in return. Exactly. So if people know that you're trying to take from them and, or manipulate them, they shut off. They're less likely to want to build a strong relationship with you or even follow you on social media. So I think that you got to do it in a generous way where you're not thinking about how to manipulate or benefit from the other person. You have to share, share wholeheartedly. Dan, I want to ask um, before we wrap up uh, where people can find out more about you and your work. But first, is where what, what would you like to say to leave people with any any final takeaway thoughts i think the most important thing is to take account for how when and where you're using technology i'm not trying to demonize it or saying it's bad but be more thoughtful about how you're using it because it can be a great barrier for you it can make you more isolated and lonely it can make you more distracted um, and make your life and, and workplace more dysfunctional. But if you're smart about how you're using it, if, it, if, you're, if it's leading, if you're, it's eliminating the work you don't want to do, if it's bringing you into physical locations, if it's making you more efficient, if it's um, allowing you to connect with people in a human way and then, and then meeting them offline in some capacity, like over the phone or video conferencing or in person, I think that's really effective. So be more conscious about how you're using it because if you feel if you're overusing it, it's really going to cut you off from the human connections that you need. Fantastic. Well, the book again is Back to Human: How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. We've been talking to Dan Shawbell. Dan, where can folks find out you and and connect with you? Yeah, if you go to danshawbell.com, that has the research, the articles, the podcast episodes, it has everything. And then you can check out Back to Human at your local bookstore or on Amazon. And any social media that you're, that you're particularly active on? The only one I'm really active on is Instagram. So it's uh-huh. Dan Shawbell on Instagram. Okay. That's a, that's a, what, so why Instagram? What's, what's so special about that? I invest time in where I'm getting traction and engagement, and I avoid everything else. Hmm. And so how long has, has Instagram been caught your attention like that? It's been seven months, and I've gone from four to 43,000 people following me. Wow. That is, that's, that's amazing. 
you know, it's the power of investing all of your time in one network instead of trying to do a hundred things at once. I think that I think in, in creating a system that works for you is so important. I mean, it, you know, people are telling you to join and do all these different things, but you need to figure out what works for you and come up with your own rhythm. And the more you do something, the more you'll be able to come become efficient. And I've committed to do it every day, two posts a day, seven days a week. And so it needs, you need to be consistent because no brand has ever been built that hasn't been consistent. That's cool. And I imagine by focusing in one spot, you're actually more human because you're, you're actually fully present there instead of just being scattered. Very good point. Yeah. If I'm scattered, I'm not really paying attention to anything at all. Very cool. Well, we'll put all the links to Dan's social media, Instagram, and his website on our show notes for this episode. Dan Shawbell, it's been such a great time having you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, Engagers. And again, we'll provide the information and links that Dan mentioned on our show notes, including a link to that Office Party 1980 versus today. You can find all that on our website at engagingleader.com forward slash 185 as in episode 185. This is a production of Workforce Communication. We're a team of consultants and creatives using the power of communication to help organizations enhance the well-being and performance of their people. My colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, fully engage employees, and achieve superior business results. In several areas, including employer branding, talent management, wellness, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at workforcecommunication.com. Our thanks to Cecily Leahy, our producer, James Marler, our sound engineer, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers. Engagers.